Well, if you have your Bibles, I would like to invite you to turn again to Proverbs chapter 19. As we're turning there, I uh, was told by uh, Aaron back there that we've got uh, uh, over 25, uh, 24 people that are uh, watching on the internet this morning. We'd like to welcome you here and hope you that uh, you get a blessing out of it. And every week we get, uh, hardly a week goes by that I don't get an email or text or a phone call from somebody literally all over the country and all over the world that uh, is just following what we're doing here. And we want you to know that uh, we love you very much. I love you very much. And uh, uh, we're here for you. We're not just somebody that puts this out so uh, um, we can uh, talk about it or raise money from it. We just put it out because we want to get the Word of God out. And I want to appreciate all of the people out there uh, who are working with us from all over the world, South Africa, London, um, or in England, and uh, of course the uh, Netherlands and uh, the places that are actually taking the material and putting it out and across the country too. So uh, we thank you for all that you do for us and uh, we just want to try to help you uh, as we do our people here, get everything you can out of the Bible. So thank you for tuning in this morning. And like I said, I love you very much and uh, I hope that uh, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, that uh, this is a blessing to you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 19, last week we talked about the uh, the chastisement of God. And uh, in particular, it talked about not sparing the chastisement uh, in our children's life. And I showed you how that, <clears throat> from a doctrinal context, it, it's dealing with God dealing with his, his son, the nation of Israel, and the chastisement that they have been going through because of their rejection of him. And Israel made two great mistakes. In the Old Testament, they made the mistake of selling out God for Baal worship. And in the New Testament, they made the mistake for selling out Christ for Rome. And we talked about that last week. And, uh, you know, God dealing with his people down through history. And then I, I showed you the practical application of it. <clears throat> how that uh, It's also a picture of how God deals with us as his children. Uh, no child of God, out of the Hebrews we saw now, no child of God will go without chastisement. The Bible says we're all partakers. So uh, we, we looked at that, and then we took it down to uh, the practical application of, of, of chastising and dealing with your own children. The importance of, uh, of understanding a biblical form of discipline in their lives. There was so much information on how to train up your child. You know, we looked at how that the, our children are God's heritage. We think they're our kids, and in a Christian sense, they're not. They're God's children. He gave, gave them to us to be the caretakers of them. And he wants some things that he wants us to do to them. God wants us to do with our children what he's done with us. And that is recognize that they are God's heritage and bring them along. And uh, it was, you know, some great material on it. I, I talked about the five crucial stages of training your child. And it's based on God's dealing with the nation of Israel. We started looking at the discipline stage, and we talked about how vitally important that aspect of a child's life is. Discipline has to be number one. It has to start with that. That has to be the foundation by which everything else is built on. Then we talked about the relationship stage. We talked about the fellowship stage, the responsibility stage, and, of course, the ministry stage. And these are all five things that you find uh, in, in Israel's um, life as God was dealing with them and developing them. It's the uh, exact same thing that we find uh, in your life as a Christian. Uh, when you got saved, you get discipled. 
The word disciple and the word discipline are two words that go together. That's where it starts. Then through that discipline or that disciple, then you build a relationship. After you build a relationship with God, you build your fellowship with God. Once you get to that point in your life, then you take responsibility for God. And when you get to that point in your life, then you do ministry for God. It's the same thing. And it's an incredible five stages that we need to uh, put our children through as we help them grow and develop. And how absolutely vital it is to lay a foundation of discipline for them. You know, we talked about providing the vision of God in their life. Uh, you know, that they see it through their family and themselves as part of the uh, ministry team that God has forged together through the family. Moms and dads leading the way. <clears throat> and how, <clears throat> through the example of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, <clears throat> and God not holding back his hand of chastisement, and I showed you last week, he's been chastising them for almost 2,600 years. And never one time has he backed off of it. And yet at the same time, he's going to restore them and he's going to bring them back. <clears throat> Lying within all the concept of God's chastisement and his love for Israel is the picture of really what should be behind our dealing with our children and chastising them or taking them wherever we got to go to keep them focused and disciplined. And that is the fact that you love them. And you love them enough that you don't want them to turn out and go the way of the world. And you love them enough to say no. You love them enough to hold the line with them. You love them enough. And I know many times kids don't understand it. Many times God's people don't understand it when God is dealing with them. But yet the reason for it is the fact that God loves us. Now today, <clears throat> I want to begin again in reading in chapter 19. And I want to pick it up in verse 19. <clears throat> and we're going to look at just three verses today. But there are three important verses. It says, A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment, for if thou deliver him, yes, thou must do it again. Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in the latter end. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. Nick, would you ask God bless and stand up and ask God's blessing on the service this morning for me. Lord, thank you uh, for just bringing us here safely, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity we have to um, sit under your word, Lord God. And I just ask that uh, you just prepare our hearts and our minds um, to hear the preaching and the teaching that we're going to get today, Lord. Um, equip Bob and give him uh, the right words that uh, he needs to say, Lord God. And uh, just help us all just to continue to have your word in our hearts and our minds, Lord. And uh, bless uh, this time. And um, as we go and prepare for restart, Lord, I just pray you prepare our hearts for that as well. Um, Thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done for us. And uh, we just ask that you just bless our time again, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now, I want to start with verse uh, uh, 19 here. And I want to kind of glean the principles out of here that <clears throat> can help us and, and look at them. You remember I told you that much of Proverbs will be uh, like two thought verses. Uh, the verse will be cut in half. They'll have a, a positive verse, a part of the verse, and then a negative part. I've told you many, many times it's much like life. Life will have its good times and its bad times. And Proverbs is a book that deals with the issues of life. So you're going to find in Proverbs what I call those two thought verses, where you have one that's positive and then one's negative. Sometimes they'll both be positive, sometimes they'll both be negative. But it'll complete the thought. Uh, it's two principles that will go hand in hand with each other that will give you a complete truth. And that's, that's the way much of Proverbs is laid out. And you want to remember that. Much of Proverbs, or most of Proverbs, once you get past chapter 7, is a, a negative and a positive put together. And it shows you how the issues of life, some will be negative and some will be positive in life, but we have to, to deal with them all. 
And verse 19 says, a man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. And we want to look at that first part first. Now the verse as it stands, it's a simple enough verse. But as all of our verses in Proverbs, it, it's very profound and carries with it a lot, of, uh, a lot of material. People who are angry all the time and display wrath toward everything will always uh, be an issue in life. And I don't care where you go in life. If you go out in the workforce, you're going to find people just like this. You're going to find people at school, if you go to college, wherever it may be. You're going to find people who go through life with a cloud over their head, and they're everything they everything they do, they're, they're angry about, or they're, uh, many times it, it displayed as wrath, and they're just some of the uh, meanest people that you're ever going to find in your life. And you're going to find them all the time. And, you know, in the Bible... We look at negative people or somebody who is angry or somebody has wrath and we get the idea that sometimes that those are bad words. They're not necessarily bad words. Oh, Bob Jones Sr. said one time that everything, every bad thing in this world is a good thing that somebody's twisted. And in the Bible, anger and wrath are two legitimate emotions. They're God-given emotions to us. There's a time for us to be angry and there's a time for us to display wrath. There really is. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 22, that, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, that he that is angry without a cause is guilty before uh, the judgment. And, of course, uh, it says there has to be a cause to your anger. Now, if you've got an NIV or anything else that you have there, uh, it'll, they, will take out, they will take out the word uh, without a cause. And it simply says in your NIV or your ASV, if any man is angry uh, with his brother, uh, he is guilty of the judgment. Takes out without a cause. And that's a subtle attempt of, of discrediting it the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you know as well as I do that Jesus was angry in the Bible. Over there in John chapter 2 verse 16 when he went into the, um, into the temple and all the money changers were there. And they were selling all of the animals and all that for the sacrifices and all that stuff. You know what he did. He got angry. He overturned the tables. He threw the, everybody out. I mean, I would have loved to have seen that. I mean, here's the sweet Jesus of Galilee uh, kicking over tables, throwing people out by the scruff of their neck. And uh, you know what? I thought that would have been a good thing. He must not have been having a good day. I don't know. But he sure cleaned them out. Then again, in Luke chapter 19, verse 46, three years later... He goes into a temple again, they're doing the exact same thing, and he throws them out. And the Bible says he overturns the table. I mean, it wasn't just in here, you guys get out of here now. It wasn't like that. <laughs> he threw over the tables, threw people out the door. I mean, it was an incredible thing to see. Now, I'll just tell, throw this out to you, some a little thought for the week. In John chapter 2, verse 16, when he throws them out, he says... You have made my father's house a den of thieves. Three years later in Luke chapter 19, when he throws him out the second time, he says, you made my house a den of thieves. Find out why the first one was his father's house, now it's his house. Be a little thing for you to work on this week. <clears throat> but my point being, the Bible says <clears throat> he is angry with his brother without a cause. See? And so when the NIV takes out without a cause... They make Jesus Christ a guilty sinner there when he threw him out because they take out without a cause. That's what they do. Cheap shot at the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you're going to find that there is a place for anger. And you're going to find at the second coming of Christ, you, uh, you, have, a, you have the wrath of God poured out uh, on men. Revelation chapter 19, 15. Revelation chapter 16, 19. 
And uh, over there in Revelation 16, 19, it's called the cup of God's wrath. And so we find that there's in the Bible, there's a place for anger and there's a place for wrath. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible says in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, that he drank that cup of God's wrath for you and for me. So there's a time in the Bible for anger and there's a time in the Bible for wrath. I don't want you to get that you see so much anger misdirected and so much wrath misdirected that you think it's always a bad concept. It's not. It's only a bad concept when it's out of control. It's only a bad concept, as the Bible says, the key to anger and wrath will be your cause behind the way you are. Is there a legitimate biblical cause for it? Uh, There is a time and a place for both. And you know, you put your anger uh, is not, uh, when your anger is not based on a doctrinal principle or in the Bible uh, or a just cause, then it's going to be an issue. It's always going to be an issue. And of course, you don't want it to ever become a personal thing. That's nothing to do with the Bible. And then you're in trouble, as the verse says, and it will apply. You know, you'll see it, uh, you'll see this all the time in dealing with people. And uh, people who are angry, people who get angry, they're not really in control of things. When I deal with somebody in a cult, <clears throat> you'll see it if you carefully see it on Thursday night. I remember four or five years ago, we invited, remember we invited all the Church of Christ people in here? And uh, Zach was working with them down at UPS, and they were trying to hit him up to become a Church of Christ guy. Those ones you're baptized, you're crazy people, man. And so we invited them over, and uh, their pastors over, and uh, the whole the whole church came over. And we had a kind of a good fun fest, knockdown drag out. It was for two weeks we did it, I think two or three weeks. It was a fun time. And, uh, you know, when you deal with a cult, this is where you, you see the principle that when somebody gets angry, they lose control. And when, you, when, you're, when your anger is not based on something biblical, then when that anger overtakes you, you're going to not be in control of yourself and control of your situation. And I always doubt it. When I deal with cults that way, I always use that. That's a great tool. Because, no, number one, they don't have the truth anyhow. Number two, they're in a defensive position where they're trying to put out the stuff that they've learned and been taught that absolutely has nothing to do with the Bible. And they're really on thin ice. And they have to focus on what they've been taught and, and what, they, what they do. You'll notice that night that the pastors, I mean, my, most, many of you were here, the, my people were jumping in all over the place. Remember how that the pastors would not let their people speak? Every time they began to talk, they would shut them up and only the pastors could speak. That's because they didn't want to lose control. Because they knew that if they got into a knockdown drag out with somebody and somebody uh, was smart enough to know to get them angry. And that, that's the key. There, when you start to deal with a cult, if you can get that person angry, you won. Because he has no defense at that point. He loses his focus and you stay cool. There's no reason for you to get angry. You got the truth. You don't have to get angry. You're not intimidated by them. You're not worried about it. You just put out the truth. But you know they don't have the truth. And if you can shake them, if you can get them to the point where they lose their temper and get angry, you won. Because anger will control you. And when anger without a cause is in our lives, we don't have control of our lives. The Bible says, he that hath no rule of his own spirit like a city broken down without walls. And you'll go to it. I mean, you want to, you, I mean, and a lot of people, you know, I, I remember that night afterwards. And it was amazing to me, you know. There were people in our own church that felt sorry for them. And they said, well, you know what, I think 
Bob was a little too hard on. Oh yeah, they sent a hundred billion people to hell and we're too hard on them. You know what your problem is? You ain't want anybody to Christ in your life. Here's a cult out there that is sending people to hell faster than a bullet and you're worried about their feelings getting hurt? But that's where God's people are today. But, you, you know, I remember the guy, he was, I, I, I had him on a thing there, and he was, I just wouldn't let him go. I mean, and he was the guy there, and he was, he, we could begin to see him sweating. And he was, he was, I just kept nailing. He didn't have an answer. And then I, I pushed the anger button on him. I knew now I'm going to put him over the top. In front of all his people. In front of all the other pastors. He's struggling with an answer. And I just stopped, and I said... Maybe there's somebody else here in your group that knows more about this than you do. Because you're really having a tough time with this tonight. He went ballistic. But it was over. He couldn't put two thoughts together after that to save his soul. And baptism will not save your soul, by the way. You know, in military, you know, the, you know, the, you, you know when you want to ambush somebody? The most deadliest ambush on the planet that nobody ever survives is what they call an ex-ambush. Where you set one group up here, one group down here. This group's going to fire this way. This group's going to fire that way. And if somebody, a column's going to come through this way or come through that way, when they get right in the middle of the X, everybody opens up. This group will cover anybody going this side on the left flank. This group will cover anybody on the right flank. And you catch them in the X crossfire. There's no surviving it. And when you get dealing with a call member, if you want to put him in an X ambush where he doesn't survive, just get him to lose his cool. Because when people get mad, they lose control of things. And when they lose control of things, you got them. That's the beauty about the Bible. That's why the Bible says, Great peace have they that love thy law, nothing shall offend them. Amen. How do you get offended when you have the truth? How do you get angry at somebody who wants to, I mean, who, who wants to argue with you over the baptism for salvation or tongues or losing your salvation? How in the world? I mean, to me, I guess to any Christian, that's like some of you guys, kids sitting down and playing video games. You don't take them serious, but it's fun. I don't take them serious, but I'd be lying if I said it wasn't fun. You just got to know what buttons to push. You never lose control when you have the Bible. In any circumstance or any situation, that Bible is the absolute final authority for everything on life on planet Earth. When you know it and you understand it, whatever situation you're in, never yield and give up the control of the situation. And one of the ways that you will give it up when somebody makes you angry. Because angry will always get you off your game. And it's the difference between getting angry over something legitimate that violates the scriptures versus getting mad over something else, you know. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 32, a great verse. It says, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Most people read that verse and don't know what it means. It says, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You know what that verse means? It means that you and I control our own emotions. We control our own spirit. We control our anger. We control our emotions. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In all my ministries, I've seen people who, who uh, couldn't find issues. Some of you will remember, some of you ladies, anyhow. Remember the, now we'll, you know, it's been about five, six, seven years ago now. Remember the couple we had that came in here? And I had known them for quite a while. And this woman had a lot of problems. And honestly, she was the meanest woman I ever met in my life. 
I mean, she wasn't happy about anything. I don't care where we went, what we tried to do. She was not happy. She found fault with everything that we did. I put, I remember putting, you know, somebody comes in like that, and the husband, he was a weak guy. He was a nice guy, but he was a weak, you know, he couldn't lead her, and she was, I mean, it was just a bad situation from the get-go. But she was mean. I put her with one of you gals, I won't even say who it is, but she's sitting here on the edge of the, sitting here about halfway back, three-quarters way back. I put her with one of the gals back here, you probably remember this, Nick. I put her with another girl, and, you know, now let me ask her. Who can't get along with Nikki Brackeen? <laughs> Nikki Brackeen is not some foul-mouthed person who just who looks out to try to insult somebody. She's very, she's not like Steve at all. <laughs> she's very, very professional in what she does, and I put it with Nikki. It wasn't two weeks this woman's called me on the phone. I don't like this person you put me with. I said, okay. I said, I realize that uh, I, I didn't understand it, but I want to give people the best shot I can. And I understand sometimes in dealing with little personality clashes, we get that. I mean, you didn't like me the first time you met me, and it, I get it. it. It's a thing where, so I put her, I forget who the second person was, but I, I put her with somebody. I talked to Nikki. I said, hey, look, it's no big deal. Don't take it personal, but, you know, we're going to, I'm going to put this with this person over here. She said, fine, there's no fine. At two weeks. Then she calls again. I, I, this, I don't like this person. This person just is not what I'm looking for. This person is not telling me, uh, and I, I said, okay, okay, okay. I got her third. I think I went through seven ladies. Every one of them she didn't like. Every one of them she found something wrong with. And then I made the stupid mistake. You know, sometimes I just I don't think for I speak sometimes. Usually on Sunday morning when I'm preaching. But it, but I, you know, her and her husband came over. I got the phone call, the dreaded phone call. You know, can we call and talk with you? Oh, sure. Evidently, we're not going to have anything to eat, so just come on over because I know there's something going on here. And I love when you get the call, brother. Can we come over and talk to you? <laughs> All the other time is, hey, Bob, how you doing? Man, it's good to see you. Oh yeah, how are you? Just have it. Can we come over and talk with you? I knew there was a problem. <laughs> so they come in. Now the husband, he stands up and he begins to speak for her behalf. And I know what happened. She beat him up at home, and now he's got to do this. So he starts saying, well, you know, we're not happy here. And, and uh, you know, uh, we thought we'd come here, and you would, put, you would help my wife, and she's not getting the help that she needs. And I'm sitting here, and I'm ticking off from Nikki to the next person to the next person to the next person. I mean, seven or eight ladies. I think Courtney was one of them. I think Pam was one of them. And I just, everybody, just ticking them off in my mind. Oh, and I'm thinking of my, and I, and I, you know, I'm so stupid. Instead of just standing there and sitting there and saying, well, look, I'm really sorry. You know, uh, what can I do? You know, I put my foot in my mouth. And it was the end of the story. Maybe that's what God wanted. He, she, he went on and on and on about how his wife, she's just sitting there. She's just boiling mad. And she, he says, and I just want you to know these women have not helped my wife at all. And I said, well, I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm out of women. Oh, that did not go over good. <laughs> I was out of women. I didn't have anybody else. She ran through the whole muster sheet, man. I mean, I'm out of, I'm out of women. I don't have anybody else to put with you. Well, oh, I had one, but I save her for, for, for people that want to run off. So, I, you know, but I didn't have anybody else. And, I, and, I, and they got mad and left. And you know, that was probably six or seven years ago. This woman was never happy about anything. And people are angry all the time and display wrath uh, toward everything that goes on. You know, and I don't know where, I don't know where, 
I, I don't know where they're at today. It's been seven years ago. But there, she was always blaming everybody else. It was always somebody else's fault. And I said, I put the very best women I had with her. Now, I haven't seen them for six or seven years, haven't heard of them, but I guarantee you this. Nothing's gotten any better. Nothing's probably changed. Her anger and wrath has only gotten worse, and it's still everybody else's fault. You see, anger and wrath start in our hearts. It's not something that we pick up like a cold. It starts in our hearts when things are not right between us and God. And when you don't take care of those things and deal with those things. And when your anger and wrath is not based on a biblical principle, but rather, uh, you know, your own, your own uh, personal issues that you're not willing to deal with. Now, I'll tell you, the only thing that will keep our anger right and our wrath in check, that it doesn't get out of control, be when it's based on the Bible and it falls into a set of biblical principles that we all follow to keep it the checks and balance system. That's why I put the emphasis on the principles here. The Word of God is our checks and balance system. It keeps everything between the white lines of where it needs to be. And we're all going to struggle with that. Every one of us. Everybody's going to have an issue with this. There will be anybody that says, oh, I don't have a problem. If we all do. And that's why it's the importance of the principles to make sure that what we get upset about, what we're dealing with, is a legitimate cause. And you see them wherever you go in life. They will, they will have problems wherever they go. And the verse says, a man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. Now, let me talk about suffering punishment for a moment. That means they'll be beat up all their life. They're going to be in conflict all their lives. They're not going to just have a problem with this here. They're going to have a problem wherever they go. And where they want to blame it on this and when they blame it on that, it's never what they blame it on. It all goes back to the source in their heart where they're not dealing with the things the way they should. And many times they'll get beat up all their life. They're at odds with everybody. And they don't, uh, they, they don't agree with their like. And, uh, you know, we use the phrase, we say, man, did I get beat up in that deal? We talk about it all the time. We say, man, did he ever throw me under the bus? See? We say, man, you know, uh, boy, I got beat up. Oh, man, I got clobbered. Or I got bloodied. Or I got busted. I got this. I got that. When a person cannot control their temper or their anger, and it leads to wrath, it's always going to come back on them. They're going to suffer the punishment of going through life in conflict with everybody. There isn't going to be anybody that they, that, they, that they don't have a problem with, or very few anyhow. And along with that, a woman or a man who can't control their anger will never be able to control their mouth. And that's why it just keeps them getting in problems. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 9 says, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. For angry anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Bosom, that's where your heart is. Proverbs 16.23 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Because it's all dealing with you keeping control of everything. In every situation in life, and I know this is not possible. I know it's not. But it ought to be. And it ought to be pretty close. In our life, your life, and my life, and everything that we do, because we have the Bible, because we have the principles, because we have all that God has given us, there should be very few times, as I said a little earlier, that we lose control of a circumstance. Uh, you, the principles will always dictate that you stay in charge. Now, people may not like that. They may not agree with that. It, but it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, let God be true and every man a liar. 
At the end of the day, it's the principles that will stand. And you'll see that here in just a moment. And you know, you're going to find that uh, if you want some really good advice from the wisest man that ever lived, and that would be Solomon. Sound advice, he said in Proverbs 22, 24, make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, shalt, uh, thou shalt not go. And the reason is, is because whatever negativity they have is going to brush off on you. And it's just that simple. Now look at the last part of that verse. When a man or a woman can't control their anger and their tongue, look what happens. Here's what it says. For if thou deliver him, yet he must, you must do it again. It's going to be a constant, endless source of problems. After time, after time, after time. It says, therefore, if thou deliver him, yet thou must do it again. And I might add in my own commentary, and again, and again, and again, and again. It's going to go on and on and on. They just go from one issue to another, and they never deal with the, uh, the real issue, which is their anger. I've seen people, I've seen people that just go from church to church to church, and they find a problem in any church they're in. It doesn't matter if there is a problem or there is not. They will find one, they will make one up, they will get one going for themselves. It's just the way it is. Verse 20 says, Oh, what a great principle this is. Hear counsel and receive instructions that thou may be wise in thy latter end. Now, doctrinally, just so you put this note in your Bible, if you don't have it, the key word there is latter end. So we know that this is uh, given to Israel, God's son, that they're to hear counsel and receive instruction that it's going, to be, it's going to be good for them in the latter end. And the latter end of your Bible will always be the second coming of Christ. So that's what you're dealing with. And you'll find that latter end in Joel chapter 2 verse 23, Job chapter 37, 6, Psalm 68, 8, 9, uh, Revelation 1, 6, uh, James 5, 7, Jeremiah 14, 22, on and on throughout the Bible. It'll always be a reference to the second coming of Christ and the end of the tribulation period. Now, inspirationally, you and me, getting the counsel and receiving God's instructions in life. It says, hearing counsel and receiving instructions. Now, the verse is a great one. Because it does no good to hear counsel if you're not going to receive what you hear. And that's exactly what most of God's people do. They hear it, they just never do anything with it. I mean, what good is truth in our lives if we don't do something with it? It was given to us to apply it. I, I grew up in the era where pastors, and I used to hear them say this all the time from the pulpit. It used to just drive me nuts. They would talk about how that reading the Bible will solve your problems. And that sounds really good, because the Bible is a really good book. And the Bible has within it the ability to solve any problem that you have. So it's one of those shallow Laodicean mindset concepts that pastors put out that really didn't know much about anything about the Bible, but it isn't true. Because just reading the Bible will not solve your problems. If you want to solve your problems, you have to apply what you read in the Bible to your problems to solve it. Reading it, buyers won't solve Hey, the Jehovah Witnesses read it all the time. They don't solve theirs. Church of Christ read it all the time. They don't solve it. Calvinists read it up one side and down the other. They still got their issues. It's not about reading it. Somebody said one time, I read the Bible through 300 times. And I said to him, I says, 
because we had a we had a we had a discussion about something that he was completely messed up on. It was just completely out of whack. And uh, I said, "You read the Bible that many times." I said, "You got to be the most dishonest person I ever met in my life." Said, what do you mean by that? I said, "You read the Bible through three hundred times, and you're still screwed up on the thing that's wrong in the Bible." You would think that 300 times in there, God might show you something that you're wrong. (laughs) Bottom line is this. Reading through the Bible 300 times won't do anything for you. One time, and I, Mel Sabaka, my father, Lord, he he read through the Bible once every 33 days. Now, you got to do 50 chapters a day to get through it in 33 days. 50 chapters a day. That's a lot of Bible reading. And uh, he did it. And uh, I remember being a young guy back then, I thought, well, that was the key to the Bible. I've tried everything in the world to learn the Bible. I was young, stupid, and impressionable. I remember reading one time that if you you listen to something while you sleep, you memorize it. So I I remember, I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. I'm kind of like that guy that, you know, that... uh, read about a steak diet. If you just eat steak, you know, you'll lose weight. The guy says, how's your steak diet going? It's going great. How much you lose? I lost $40 the first week. You know, that was my stupidity. And I, I, I remember I got, uh, I got uh, this guy who could read the Bible, Alexander Scorby. Oh, what a great. And I put his, his cassette in there and I went to sleep every night. And I thought, I'm going to know Romans. by I put on Romans. And I went to sleep with Romans, and he would put me to sleep. And I woke up in the morning, oh, ready. To, and I remember I woke up in the middle of the night, and I said, not there yet, i got to go back to sleep again. You know, it, it probably kicks in after 5.30 or something like that, you know. I never learned a thing that way. I never did. I played it and played it and played it and played it, I never learned a thing. Never did. I realized that, uh, you know, I, I realized that that wasn't the way to do things. And so when old Mel Sabaka was doing that, I, I was young and impressionable. I thought, you know what? I'll, that, uh, that's what I'll do. So I read through the Bible. I did it for probably a, a year, maybe a year and a half. I read through the Bible every 33 days. I was the biggest mess that you ever saw after going through that time of reading the Bible every 33 days. Because you know what happened? And boy, this is human nature. I was more interested and more worried about getting my 50 chapters in a day than I was what God was giving me. And that's what human nature does. You become a slave to the system instead of becoming a slave to the book. And I, but I realized a great truth out of that. I realized that it wasn't how many times that you and I go through the Bible, but rather how many times the Bible goes through us. And that was the key for me. And I, and I realized that, uh, that you know it's a it's a great it's a great concept to to understand uh, and, and get in your heart and your mind about learning the Word of God, because what good is truth in our lives if we're not going to do something with it? And you have to read the Bible, you have to get the instructions, and then you have to do something with it. You have to apply it. You'll see people around here all the time with little three-by-five cards and all the little stuff that they're doing. They're actively trying to learn and memorize the Word of God. Memorization is harder the older you get. But you memorize things by doing things. Uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a thing where I, I never... I could, I, could, I could call... I remember one time... I could just about name everybody as close to me. I could just about rattle off your cell phone number. Because I call you all the time. I know Gary's. 
I remember when I went to the thing one time and she said, what's your phone, cell phone number? I didn't know what it was. I never called myself. You see, when you associate yourself with something all the time, it's just through the natural process you learn it. And when you associate yourself with the Word of God all the time, and that becomes the number one thing in your life, you just learn it. I'm not sure there's any program or, or, or precise way for you just to <clears throat> learn all the principles in the Bible other than just living them and letting them just absorb themselves into you. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11 verse 14, where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. We take that verse to mean that whenever I have a problem, I'll talk to Nick, I'll talk to Bob, I'll talk to AJ, I'll talk to Josh, I'll go around to everybody and think what they think about it, and then the one I like the best that fits what I want to do, that's the advice I'll take. That's not what it's saying. It says, in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. God gave you a book, a Bible, with 66 counselors in it. That covers every issue in life. You want to find out what you got to do with your issue? Go to one of those counselors. Hear what they say, and then receive the instructions of it, and do something with it. Now, the word counsel, I think, is a good word today. We talk about a counseling ministry. People say, well, I'm a counselor. You know, and that's a, that's a big deal today. You know, most big churches, they have a full-time uh, state-certified counselor on staff, you know, that you can go if you got some real issues, you know, you can go and get some professional help and all that stuff. And, and, uh, and uh, yet, I, I found it from the Bible <coughs> that there's only two kinds of counsel that we have to give. And it's not really hard. We have a tendency all the time to make things much more complicated than they are. Now, if you're here today and you're a saved or lost, and there's probably a lot of saved people here, yet there's probably some people who, if you died right now, you don't know for sure you'd go to heaven. Hey, I get it. But let me tell you this. There are no other different people in the world today. You're either saved or you're lost. You're not, you're not this or you're not that. You're sitting here this morning, and we can take this across planet Earth. You're either in a saved condition or a lost condition. And you have problems for one of two reasons. Only, two, only one of two. If you're an unsafe person, you have problems in your life for one reason. If you're a saved person, you have issues in your life for one reason. It's not two, it's not three, doesn't require a psychiatrist, doesn't require a, a, you know, a medical therapist. You have saved or lost. If you're lost, you have your issues for one reason. If you're saved, you have your issues for only one reason. I'll walk you through them. If you're unsaved here this morning and you have issues in your life, your issues are based on the fact that because you're not saved, you're incomplete. And you want to be complete. Your whole life is to be complete. You've done everything you know how to do to be complete, except the one thing you needed to do to be complete, and that was trust Christ as your own personal Savior. Because there is no completeness outside of Christ. So what do you do? Here you are, you're 20 years old, 19 years old, 17, 18 years old. You want to be complete. You look at the world and what the world says, and the world tells you, you'll really be happy if you do this. You drive down the, you drive down the freeway. You see the billboards. You're not happy. You're a woman, and you're, you're, you're a brunette, and you see the billboard. Blondes have more fun. You dye your hair. <laughs> you're down there, and you're a guy, and you see the billboard. Friends drink low and brow, so you buy low and brow beer. 
You see the smoking commercials. Some guy on a horse out there in Montana. Millions of cattle. And he's walking, riding along on his horse. And he, big old cigarette out of his mouth. And underneath there, come to where the flavor is. So you think if you get cigarettes and smoke, you're going to, in your mind, be like that cowboy in a big old ranch, free in the sunset. And all. Do you ever smell 10,000 cattle? Come to where the flavor is? All your life, you've tried to fill that empty void in your life by putting things in it that will never fix your life. And now you've been doing it how long? 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? And now you're just as empty, but your life is much more complicated. Now you have no peace in your heart. All the things and the mistakes you've made that you thought would satisfy you have still left you empty, yet they've complicated themselves now. Now maybe you have two or three bad marriages, five or six kids out there running around. Maybe you've been through a lot of jobs. Maybe you're this, maybe that. Maybe you're an alcoholic. Maybe you're, you're hooked on drugs. Sin never leaves a man any better than it finds him. And now you're at the place where you're 30, 40, 50 years old, and you're so despondent because you made all the wrong choices in life. You know what my counsel is to you? Trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. Shed off the things of the world. Leave behind you all of the weight that the world has put on you. Become a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old things will be passed away. All things will become new. Get a fresh start in life. How hard was that? You can leave your $200 an hour on the table when you go out. That's why an unsaved man has problems. An unsaved woman has problems. Those problems that they, they thought would make them happy and satisfied will never do it. My counsel to you is to get saved. Now, some of you are saved here tonight. And your life is just as miserable as everybody else's. You're not happy either. You're not fulfilled. And you come to the place where you, you maybe sometimes you've been questioned, I, am I really saved? Or you question, you know, I mean, uh, how come the Bible doesn't work for me? How come I can't this? You see other people out here who are happy, they are satisfied, they're complete, and you're not. I understand. You know what my counsel is to you? Start doing with your life what God saved you to do. Give up ownership of your own spirit or your own life or your own plans. Quit trying to buck God every which way you go. God saved you for a purpose. And your number one task after you get saved, and it may take a little while, is to find out what that task is. Some of you want to be a great career. I, 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 I think that's, I think I, I commend you for that. But you know what? A great career doesn't take the place of living for God and doing what he wants you to do. Amen. Some of you want to go to college. I think that's great. I, I got all the education, but, but I might, but sixth grade, man, I knew it. I got it. I had it. <laughs> I, people think I'm against education. I'm really not against education. I'm just against you putting your education ahead of the Word of God. That's all. What's wrong with that? I mean, that's what I was supposed to do, put the Word of God first. Yes. Why are you getting mad at me about things like, well, he's against education. I'm against you putting anything ahead of God's Word in your life. So go ahead and get mad. Make sure you got a cause. <laughs> and you know what I counsel you to do? Get God in your life the way he wants to be. You'll never be satisfied as a Christian until you come to the place where you find out what God wants you to do with your life and then you do it. You never will. 
I've seen women come to the place where I just want a husband so bad I can't, I can't, I, you know, and I said, be patient, be patient. But I'm so lonely. I want a husband. I want a husband. And I've seen guys say, I want a wife. And I say, be patient. Let me, I want a wife. And you know what? Because you can't be patient and you actually think that that's going to make you happy. You short circuit the system. Go find the guy or the gal that you think is Mr. Wonderful. And then two years after you couldn't live without him. Now you can't live with him. Happens all the time. As you can well testimony back there, brother. Thank you. You gotta You gotta hear the instruction, but then you gotta do something with it. And I tell you, you don't need any psychology, you don't need any therapy, you don't need a psychologist, you, you don't need your monthly therapist appointment. You simply need to understand how simple uh, our issues are, really are. And the Bible says the wisest man that ever lived, when he come down in the book of Ecclesiastes, which lays out everything in life under the sun, you know what he said? Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. It's the whole duty of man. My counsel to an unsaved man is get saved. My counsel to a saved person, you want to solve every problem in your life? Just start doing what God wants you to do. Guy person says, well, I'm depressed. You know what a great cure for depression is? It's understanding the reality. Whatever problem you got, there's always somebody that's got a worse problem. I've had people, I said, well, I just, I'm just depressed about my life. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Go down to Children's Mercy Hospital, walk through the cancer ward, look at all those little kids in there that are ball-headed from the chemotherapy that are probably going to die, and then tell me what your problems are again. You see, you got to get outside that world you live in that isn't the most important thing you think it is, because the most important thing for you is His world, what you do for Him. I... <clears throat> I've never been depressed in my life. I've had struggles with things in my life, but don't last very long. It's hard for me to see how anybody can get down in the dumps in life when you're walking the streets of gold through the Word of God. And somebody asked me one time, Bob, don't you ever get down in the dumps? I said, nah, I don't go there anymore. Why not? Well, people don't throw things away like they used to. Used to find some good stuff down there. Not anymore. How do you live in the dumps as a Christian when you should be walking the streets of gold with a book that God gave you? I don't understand it. Somebody says, well, there's a lot of... Do you ever look at the guys in the Bible? you ever look at Paul, what he went through, and yet he, he never got discouraged, he never quit, he never stopped. You know why? Because he knew that at the end of that yellow brick road was the rainbow. Counsel's not hard. You're unsaved here this morning and despondent in life, get saved. If you're saved, unsaved here this morning, you say, well, I'm a happy guy. You still need to get saved because it's a false happiness. And you're going to find out when you die. Saved person, just start doing what God wants you to do. Quit, quit focusing on what you want. And for the first time in your life, focus on what God wants from you. What does he want you to give him? What really? Stop and evaluate your life. How much of what you're doing right now is really of God or of you? Well, I get sober, man. 
You know, I put a lot of emphasis on Bible principles, and the reason for that is Bible principles will always form good counsel. You'll never go wrong. You'll never go wrong. I try, I don't always do it, but I try to have a biblical principle for everything I do. There isn't a problem that I deal with that I don't have a stack of principles based on what I'm doing, what I'm doing. Now, somebody may not give you the opportunity to talk about it or may never, never find out if you do or not, but that's beside the point. You have to, good Bible principles will always form good counsel. And you use the Word of God, all 66 counselors, to get that right counselor. For instance, a young man wants to go into the ministry. What a noble thing. That's a great thing. Guy comes to me and says, hey, Bob, I think God's called me into the ministry. I want to do this. I want to do that. What's your counsel for me? My counsel was to get in 1 Samuel chapter 3. That's a definitive chapter for every young man or every young lady wants to go into the ministry. You know what 1 Samuel chapter 3 is? That's good counsel. And I've had guys read that and never apply it. Not my fault. That's a definitive chapter in the Old Testament of God putting a man in the ministry. The definitive chapter in the New Testament, 1 2 Timothy. Couple wants to get married. Bob, what, 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 what's your counsel? In the Bible, there's, there's seven fundamental concepts that your marriage has to be built on. You know what that is? That's good counsel. Here are the instructions. Do what it says. Last week, you want to train up your child right? Last week, you saw the book of Proverbs was the foundation of that. You know what you got last week on training up your children from the book of Proverbs and in the Bible? We spent most of the time in Proverbs. That's good counsel. You have an issue with somebody in the church. And yet the Bible principles will always be the good counsel that you need on how to handle it. Romans chapter 14 and Romans chapter 15. In any issue, if you want to get the truth in the heart of the matter, just sit down and examine it. And find out if what's being done, what's being said, and how things are being played out. If there's principles behind it. That's all. Cut it down just like that. You know, we as God's people, this is human nature. We like to put out a lot of smoke. During World War II, every, every battleship had a big generator on the back that put out smoke. It could cover the whole ship. And when they got in a jam and they wanted to, didn't want the enemy to be able to see where they're at to shoot at them, they just put on these generators and just filled the whole thing with smoke. And you couldn't find them. That's what a lot of God's people do. They fill their lives with a lot of smoke. Then the enemy come up with infra, in, infrared and they could see right through the smoke and see where the ships were. So that didn't work very well. And for a child of God or whoever that wants to fill their life with smoke... God's got the biblical principles and it cuts right through the smoke and gives you the real issue. So that doesn't work any well either. But that's the key. That's the key. And it's a, you know, and the verse says, hear counsel and receive instructions. Hear what the Bible says and then do what the Bible says. The verse will cut right through all the garbage that people try to uh, mask their actions with. Simply did he follow the good counsel of the Word of God. And you know, and this is the, this is the reason why, uh, honestly, people don't like, they like the book of Proverbs. If you wrote a commentary on Proverbs, it would be the least bought book of anything in the, uh, that you would write. But Revelation, everybody would buy it. Daniel, whoo, stand in line to get Daniel. Daniel 70th week, find out whether the Antichrist got that word on his nose, the left side or right side. Oh, get Daniel. Get Revelation. Oh, yeah, Revelation. Proverbs. Ah. 
You know what the reason for that is? Proverbs is too plain. Proverbs is so simple. It's a negative, positive verse. It just lays it right down. Proverbs is too open. Proverbs is too revealing. Proverbs makes life so simple. Proverbs takes us down to the lowest common denominator of our life with God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, 13 says when it comes to God that all things are naked and open under the eyes of him we have to do. God sees, God doesn't see all the things we kind of mask it behind. God sees right where it's at. That's what Proverbs does. I mean, Proverbs says you're either a wise man who hears and receives commandments or you're a fool who won't. How much simpler is life than that? What would we like to do? Fire up the smoke generator. Mask ourselves. Get the right Bible. Get the right church. Get this. Get that. Talk about God. Talk about how much you love God. Just don't ever do anything with it. And Proverbs cuts right to that. Proverbs gives you nine things that a wise man is and eight things that a fool is. And you and I can't, we cannot reveal ourselves. If you want to, you see a God's people that write the eight things a fool is and walking around all day long. Don't do that. They'll know I'm a fool. Don't say that. Oop, don't do that one. Don't do that one. That's what you got to do. And you can't do that. Because they're inside. Out of the abundance of heart the mouth speaks. It isn't your body that is a fool. It's your heart that's a fool. And your heart will reveal what's in it. And your body can't stop it. That's how it works. See, Proverbs is too clear. It's too plain. And right along with that is this great passage will be our next verse, verse 21. And boy, what a verse. You see, when you don't want to follow the principles, you always come up with a fake issue to justify yourself. Bible calls this devices. Let's look at our next verse, 21. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, thou shalt stand. What a great verse. Now, as the verse says, as the verse stands, it will be applied uh, to the world system first. The devices here will be everything that man has come up with to get him around the Word of God. Higher education. There is no form of higher education that does not exalt itself over the Word of God. End of story. I'm not saying you shouldn't get it. I'm not saying you shouldn't, you can't learn some things from it. I'm just saying know what you're dealing with when you get into it. There is nothing on this planet in higher education that does not exalt itself or try to over the very things of God. It just does. It was designed that way. So the devices will be education. It'll be philosophy. It'll be science. It'll be politics. It'll be popes and religions and ministers and psychiatrists and therapists, uh, philosophies, all the theologies of man, everything that man has come up with to try to portray this is the way life really is versus the way life really is. In the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the wisdom books in your Bible, probably one of the most unique books in the Bible that nobody ever gets and understands. The theme of understanding of the book of Ecclesiastes is just two simple things. First of all, it says under the sun. And that means everything that goes on this earth by a worldly way is what he's talking about. And what Solomon does is he investigates every philosophy that man ever comes up with. I think he goes through 34, 35 of them. We've got lists back there in the bookstore. You can get a copy of them if you want. 
have 34, 35 of the philosophies that man has come up with to get him around. The devices. And the book of Ecclesiastes says, under the sun. Then the book of Ecclesiastes also said, there's nothing new under the sun. And it shows you that all this stuff is just a cycle, a recycling. And you know, when man goes through 6,000 years of doing this and doing this and putting this all together and coming up with this ology and existentialism and pragmatism and altruism and all of these great things that they come up with, that all the philosophers sit around and say, yeah, this is really life. You know, if it feels good, do it. Do this, do that. Do it. This is the way we are. When they go through their whole 6,000 years of history. I mean Kant, Nietzsche, Spazona, Hegel, Thomas Aquinas, Aristotle, Socrates, and Plato. When they go through their whole life, whatever they did, they'll hit that book face to face at the great white throne judgment. And the Bible says that the books will be opened because the counsel of the Lord stands. They ain't going nowhere. It's fixed. It's absolute. Doesn't matter what he thinks about it. Saved or lost. There's a little song that used to be out back in the 60s and the 70s. Everybody used to sing it. I don't know how to sing it, so I won't sing it. But it went like this. God said it, I believe it, that settles it for me. And people would walk around, God said it, that said it, God said it, I believe it, that settles it for me. God said it, I believe it, oh God settles it for me. The truth of the matter is, God said it, that settles it. That may never, you believe it or not. Amen. He said it, and the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. And that's why the Bible says we hear instructions and we do something with it. It's incredible. Incredible. And a practical application to you and me. When we don't want to do what's right anymore with the Bible, God or church or whatever, we invent devices. My whole life of 40 plus years in the ministry has been identifying devices you got guys who are bomb experts, and they can look at a bomb, and they can just walk around it and say, oh, it's a two-wire pull wire, trip wire here. we got a false thing over here. we got a false thing over here. You try to cut that red wire, it's really the white wire. Why? Because they've been around bombs all their life. I've seen them get down and smell that thing, and they said, oh, C4. Nothing to mess with. They know what it smells like. And you know what? You can't be in a ministry and do the work of the Lord for 40-some years. Not see every device that anybody ever threw up. Sometimes they make you throw up. You can sniff it out. You can see it. Human nature is easier than bombs. Because a bomb maker can always come up with a new way to make a bomb. But human nature only follows a certain pattern. And then there's nothing more added to it. Just learn the pattern. Just learn the pattern. Device, device means divisive. When we put a device in our heart to get around the things of the Lord, no matter what we do, the Bible principles, then we get divisive. What was once okay is not okay anymore. I mean, you take the issue with the Bible. In 1900, everybody believed the King James Bible was the Word of God. You believe, pre, you believe uh, 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 pre-millennial return of Christ. In the 1850s, 1890s, everybody believed it. What happened now that nobody believes it anymore? You got Baptist churches that don't believe the rapture of the church anymore. Hey, for, for 2,500 years or 2,000 years of Christianity, they believed it. What happened to it? Did it just run out of steam? Was it wrong all that time? Was the, all those people for 2,000 years or 1,900 years that believed one book, they were all wrong? Because in the last part of the 20 and 21st century, somebody says it isn't real anymore? Come on! 
what was okay at one time, what was really good, what really was great five, six, seven years in a row, maybe ten years, now it's not good anymore. People say, well, it's, you know, I go to church, but it's too loud. Somebody said, well, he preaches too hard. Somebody said, well, he doesn't preach hard enough. Somebody said, well, it's really cold in there. Somebody else said, well, it's really hot in here. Somebody says, well, he's just too negative. Somebody else says, oh, he's always just positive. Somebody said, well, so-and-so, you know, is not my friend anymore, so I'm not going there anymore. Things just aren't the same anymore. Somebody else says, things are the same and they're getting better every day. You can't please everybody. You know, the ministry is like, I heard old Oliver B. Green one time, he, he, he told this story. And this is the ministry. If you want a ministry in a nutshell, here it is. A dad and a boy and a mule were going to town. So they left the house. The dad and the boy got on the mule and they're riding the mule. They went about a quarter of a mile and some guy came out on the gate and said, well, that isn't the stupidest thing I ever saw. Two grown men, a boy and a man, trying to break that poor mule back. Why don't you let that mule rest? So they got off. So they walked along a little bit over there, about a quarter of a mile. Guy come out the gate and said, boy, you're looking at the stupidest people. You're walking when you got a brand good mule you can ride on. The dad said, well, we ain't going down that road. He put the boy on the mule. He's walking along, boy riding the mule and leading him along. About another quarter of a mile, guy comes out the gate and said, boy, look at that punk son. Makes his old daddy walk while the little young boy walk, rides the mule. So the dad took the boy off, put, got on the mule and made the boy walk. There wasn't another quarter of a mile and somebody came out and said, yeah, there it is. There's an unthankful generation. Making him walk while you ride the mule. Yeah, that's it. So when he got to town, the boy and the dad were carrying the mule. <laughs> but in spite of it all, my dear friends, in the end, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. The counsel of the Lord will stand. The principles will stand, whether anybody reads it understands it, believes it, obeys it, remembers it, interprets it correctly, doesn't matter. The counsel of the Lord, that shall stand no matter who opposes it, no matter how many have tried to alter it, no matter how many try to replace it, and no matter how many times it's buried, forsaken, forgotten, lied about, ignored, reevaluated, or disbelieved. At the end of it all, no matter what they say or do, listen to me, as an unsaved man, when you don't get that great white throne judgment, after all the devices that you put in your heart, you're going to meet him face to face. And as a child of God, with all the devices that we put in, that we're going to have our life to ourselves, that we're not going to serve God, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that, we're going to play it safe as far as Christianity is concerned, put myself first and get everything I want, and then we'll give God what's left over. Let me tell you something. That council will stand, and you'll hit him right at that judgment seat of Christ. And the reason why is because there's many devices in a man's heart, but the council of the Lord, that shall stand. book of Proverbs is a powerful book. I, I waited. I, it was one of the books that I wanted to teach early on, but it's a book that the people in the church have to be at a certain place to do it. Otherwise, they can't grasp all of the, all the weight of it. It's a simple book revealing our attitude of heart uh, that, that makes us a foolish man or a wise man. I mean, it's point blank. The mind of God in a book. How, how inconceivable is that? 
the fact that we think about God and God being eternal and God being omnipresent and omniscient and God being all those great things that he is. And yet God had the ability in the Bible itself and in the book of Proverbs in particular to write one book that gave you what his mind was. The mind of God in a book. Shows how simple God's mind really is about life. And how much we always try to make it complicated. You know, when you get into theology, get into religion, their number one goal is to make God unreachable. Their number one goal is to try to get you to believe how hard the Bible really is to understand. How a life with God is something that you've got to just, you know, dedicate years to before and then never get it. How you've got to spend years studying dead languages to find the secrets of God. They take everything that is the most simplistic form of God away because God is none of those things. God wrote you a book that is so simple that it's written in fourth grade English. God wrote you a book that any dirt farmer in Kansas that never got past the fourth grade could read and understand. And today the latest say in Christianity, most people can't stand truth. That's why they get rid of the Bible. That's why preachers don't preach the truth anymore. That's why they tell people what they want to hear, not what they ought to hear. I mean, today the very things that God stands for and the things that He hates are the things that we won't stand for and the things that we hold dear. People don't like a book that simply speaks God's mind. None of us like conflict. In the ministry, you're forced to deal with conflict, but... Nobody really likes it, I don't think. I, maybe there's some weird guy out there who likes it or some lady, but, but most people don't. And uh, we like to go along in life and get along with everybody, for the most part. And I know there's some people you can't, but you, 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 even then you feel bad. But you know, when it comes to that Bible, when it comes to the Word of God, when God speaks His mind, He speaks His mind. And it's not a negotiable thing. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, they weren't the Ten Suggestions. They were ten things that God said, this is the way it's going to be. This is my mind on these ten things. My generation was in the 50s. I grew up in the 60s and the 70s with hippies. Kids don't even know what a hippie is anymore. Some of you do. My generation back there would always run around saying, tell it like it is. Tell it like it is. Tell it like it is. And then when you open up the Bible and tell it like it was, nobody wanted to hear it. To me, it became very quickly that was just a slogan on a t-shirt. Nobody wanted the truth. And that's why so many people today have a problem with the Bible. And in particular, the book of Proverbs. It's God's mind. A book where God just speaks His mind. Where He doesn't allow you and me to start the smoke generator. He doesn't allow me and you to get lost in the twilight zone of Christianity. Where he doesn't allow people like you and me to, to put up false fronts and to pretend that we're something when deep down inside we're really not. He cuts it right to the bone and he says, you're either a wise man or you're a fool. And if you're a wise man, here's the nine things you do. And if you're a fool, here's the eight things you do. Doesn't get any simpler than that. See, we like to live in that thing. Well, you know what? Uh, how you doing today? Well, I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I'm not really in fellowship with God, but I'm just not out of fellowship with God. That does not exist. And the worst day of your life, and the worst day of your life with everything going wrong, your fellowship with God ought to be just perfect. You know why? Because at the end of the day, none of that other stuff matters. 
God forbid that you should ever get cancer. God forbid you ever have some disease that takes your life and you're laying in a hospital bed there and you're racked with pain up one side down there. God forbid. I, I, I pray that never happened to anybody. I pray we all go into rapture of the church. But I want to tell you something. God forbid the child of God, I would hope, that would get to the place in their life with the word of God. No matter what they're going through in life, how bad it hurts, no matter what it is, then you know you're going to die and you know there's nowhere that you can come to that place where you just roll up in a ball and put your arms around yourself and hold the Lord tight to you and just go home to glory with you and him just with everything right the way it needs to be. That's tough today. And it's one of those things where it all comes down to where we're at with the Lord. His mind. A book where God just speaks His mind. Today, right now, we are, we are forced to examine ourselves. We're forced to look inside ourselves. I mean, the Holy Spirit of God walking, I mean, it doesn't matter what your facial expression is. It doesn't matter what you say or what you're thinking. You know as well as I do, the Holy Spirit of God is walking up and down these aisles right now, and He's tapping everybody on the shoulder, and He's doing one thing. Everybody is looking inward today. And you're saying to yourself, well, I'm either a wise man or I'm a fool. I'll either hear counsel and receive instructions from the Bible principles, or I'm a fool who finds fault with all that God does because, you know, I want to reject the truth and the principles of the Word of God. The very principles that can, 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 can change my life. There's no middle of the road. There's no Greek needed with Proverbs. There's no Hebrew needed. There's nothing that needs to be defined. It's just simple process given down in a negative form and a positive form, just like life. Plain, simple truth from the mind of an almighty God. You know, the church at Corinth was, I think, one of the great models of what the Laodicean church really is today. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, Paul was dealing with his church uh, almost in every chapter on some issue. And he tells them, you're a bunch of babies. He tells you, you're, you're arguing about this, fighting about this. Uh, they're just about as messed up, as screwed up as the church is today. And he says in verse he says in verse thirteen, which things also we speak, not on the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now that's a great verse. In your Christian life you compare scripture with scripture. Spiritual things with spiritual things. You know what happens when you go through life and you compare true spiritual things with other true spiritual things? Do you know what happens in your life? You see what isn't spiritual. Some people don't want to know that. They don't don't want to know what's not spiritual. But if you do, and you want the wisdom of God, then you compare spiritual things with spiritual. And it will show you what is not spiritual in life. Verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You see, what happens when you begin to compare spiritual with spiritual as a child of God, and you use the Bible, and you believe the Bible, and that Bible becomes everything for you, God gives you the spiritual discernment to be able to see it. Now here it comes. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. You notice how it didn't do it didn't say about judging people? People always throw the verse, don't judge me. Judge not least to be judged. That's not even in Paul's writings. Paul says he that spiritually judges all things. I'm not going to judge you. But I will judge the things you do if I want to be associated with it or not. 
I will judge the things you do if it's going to help me or going to hurt me in my walk with God. I won't judge you. You have a right to do whatever you want to do. You have a right to be whatever you want to be. That's between you and the Lord. But I have a right to judge the things that are, the, the, the things that are people's lives or things that are out there. That you know what? That isn't going to help me. Most people do not have that ability to discern the things that will hurt them. So they get hooked up with somebody, get hooked up with this, that person's this, or that person's that, and pretty soon it destroys them. And they don't even understand why. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. Here it comes. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Now there you go. You want the instructions of God in your life? If you want to do what God wants you to do, you've got to get some instructions. God just didn't put you down here and say, all right, do the best you can, go after it, figure it out for yourself. He gave you some instructions. And if there's anything that we as human beings don't like to follow, it's instructions. Just stick around with Dad at Christmas time when the kid gets something that needs to be put together. Be over at my house sometime when I buy something that's got lengthy instructions and I just don't need them. But I always think the extra parts were just stuff they put in there in case I wanted to do something else. As human nature, as human beings, we do not like to take instructions. And as a child of God, as something you've got to condition yourself to do. Because the number one thing you've got to come to in your Christian life before you go anywhere with God is simply this. He knows more about it than you do. He knows more about it than you do. His instructions are better than anything you're going to get from anybody else. And the Bible says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. Our instruction throughout life will only come from the mind of Christ. That mind of Christ is the Word of God. And when you hear instructions, and you receive it, then you do something with it. And he says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. That's a question. Then he answers the question, but we have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ inside you in the Holy Spirit of God. You have the mind of Christ in your lap this morning in the Word of God. The mind of Christ, the mind of God in a book. The mind of God written with ink on pages. The mind of God given to man. And Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, you have to hear the instructions, then you have to receive it. You have to hear what is being said, then you have to do something with it. You have to hear what the Bible says, and then you have to apply it to the particular problem that you're dealing with. Proverbs is an incredible Proverbs is a plain book. You can go to some other books in the Bible, like Daniel, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Although you can work them all out and you can get through them in time, and I would help you with that, they're incredibly complex books. Well, you get into Leviticus, man, you're into some stuff there. They're incredibly complex, but they can be worked out. You get into the book of Romans. The book of Romans is one of the most fascinating books in all the New Testament, all the Bible. But he writes that like he's a Philadelphian lawyer, and he writes it in a script that you have to really study it. I probably went through Romans 10 or 12 times before I ever got a handle on it, and still probably don't have it the way I need to. There's some tough books in the Bible. Not saying you can't get them down. Book of Acts is another one. Book of Revelation is another one. The easiest book in the Bible, bar none, is Book of Proverbs. 
There's Bob book of Proverbs leaves nothing to the imagination. It just comes right down and tells you where you're at. In simple third grade English, that you're either a wise man or you're a fool, and here's the way you either are, wise or foolish. Well, we'll hold up there.